This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, December 31st, 2017, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The reader is Dick Lee. The speaker is Mark Haxo. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. Mark has picked uh, two passages um, he'd like to be read this morning. The first one is um, from Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. second verse you'd like read is from Hosea uh, chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain a righteousness upon you. This is God's word. Good morning. Would you join in prayer with me before we get started on this text? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to once again gather together as your people, as your sons and daughters, uh, to worship our King, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to sing songs of worship and praise. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for uh, me to be able to come up and share the word with with everyone today. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be upon us, would be upon me as I come to this place uh, to speak your word. We recognize the privilege that it is to be able to do this in freedom, without worry, uh, that we live in a land during a time and place where this is one of the rights that you have given us, one of the privileges. So thank you for that, Lord, and uh, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this time of year is always a bit of a tough time for me personally because I love Christmas. And last week we were here on Christmas Eve, which is like this is the best time of year, right? Um, If I remember right, um, it was... On that Christmas morning, the weather forecast was even calling for snow that night. So we, and then we did get snow. So we actually ended up with a sort of white Christmas, which is a real bonus, you know, living around here where we've had our more than uh, fair share of gray Christmases in years past. Um, we were all gathered here. There was that anticipation that we have for Christmas to celebrate that big day of the year uh, of our King uh, being born in a stable. Uh, all the little kids are excited because, of course, Santa Claus is coming. And, um, and hopefully you all had a wonderful time with your family, with your friends. I know not everyone does at Christmas time, and I feel sad for that. But uh, if you did, hopefully you had a time also where you were able to reflect upon, you know, the birth of our Savior. And you're able to kind of um, more deeply and more in a meaningful way um, understand, appreciate his incarnation, what it means that he came into this world 2,000 years ago, and uh, how that has changed uh, the course of humanity, and how that was a fulfilled promise that was made many times by God, you know, in the previous several thousand years. And, and uh, even now, as we live our lives, uh, we look back to that time, of course, as being kind of like the, 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 the pinnacle of history in, in terms of where we've been already. A promise had been given, a promise had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and now 
we get to live in the reality of that promise, but we've seen the rest of the story as well. We know that life of Jesus Christ, born in humble beginnings in a stable, uh, continued a humble life that led ultimately to his sacrificial death on a cross uh, in, on that little hill of Golgotha near Jerusalem. And, uh, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, and we celebrate that every day of our existence because he lives, we live. And because he lives, we have hope uh, for an eternal uh, life to come. Well, anyway, um, it's New Year's Eve today. And, um, you know, as we look, you know, even remembering Christmas is almost already seems like a, a distant memory, but in the weeks and months to come, all those good memories will be largely forgotten because that's just how our life goes. I mean, how many of us even remember much about last Christmas, Christmas 2016? I mean, I don't even remember what I got for Christmas that year. It's been so long, right? And, um, uh, well, okay, I wish. <laughs> um, but anyway, here we are, and um, we're ready to kick what remains of 2017 kind of into that uh, ash heap of history and embrace 2018. Truth is, each year brings with it its own share of sorrows and joys, doesn't it? Uh, for some of you, 2017 was a wonderful year. For Candace, it wasn't so great. Um, but for some of you, it was wonderful. Um, and you actually wrote down all the things, the great things that happened. You included those in a Christmas letter. You sent it off with your Christmas card, uh, with your family's uh, picture, or your children or whatever. And... Um, but for some of you, 2017 wasn't so great. So you didn't send out a Christmas letter. You might not have even sent a Christmas card uh, because, you know, sometimes things that happen during the course of our life, during the previous year, we just don't even feel like sharing those with our friends and family. This is true for individuals, families. It's, it's even true for churches. For Restoration Road Church this year, it was a mixture of blessing and trial. Um, it was, it was great because virtually every Sunday we've had visitors, new visitors, uh, come and be our guest every Sunday. We've had lots of people come and experience our service here, and, and many of them have stayed, and, and many have even come, went through the membership class. They've covenanted with us, and they're ready to go on mission with us. <clears throat> and so that's always exciting. But, you know, we've had several families. They were key families. They've left our fellowship this year, and they and they went somewhere else. And that's always sad to see families go. Um, we're blessed with a new elder candidate that came this year, Andrew Pack, and his family. Uh, really uh, a big blessing uh, for our ministerial staff here um, in charge of discipleship, road groups, and stuff like that. So that's been really great. But we also had a pastor resign this year, and that causes... Uh, uh, it caused some sorrow in our church as well and uh, was, was a bit of a trial. Um, it was a great year for Pastor Sam and his family because they were able to go on sabbatical over the summer and uh, were able to kind of unplug from ministry, which is really, really good for them after 10 years of ministry. And, so, and our church didn't implode while they were gone, so that was great. Um, but when they came back because of what was going on, um, he had to hit the ground running harder and faster than he ever thought he could. And uh, so it's been a kind of a tough fall uh, for that reason. You know, sometimes it's easier to look back and just see all the challenges that we faced and not the, the blessings and the graces that we, we, we received during the year. So I think it's good to acknowledge both 
Uh, we should praise God for His blessings and His graces and, and um, try and learn from the challenges that we faced over the year. It's also good as we face the beginning of a new year to do some honest reflection, to do some self-examination of the heart, to see uh, how we're doing, to assess your own spiritual temperature as you go into a new year. Has your love for the Lord steadily grown over the past year or has your love grown cold under the pressures of life and family, ministry, work, whatever it is? Well, as we go to face 2018, let's take a moment to read a few verses from the Old Testament um, to see what God would speak to us through His Word this morning. So we're first going to read this verse again from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, where he writes this. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. The Old Testament book of Hosea is, is a difficult book for several reasons. Uh, one is that it was um, it, it's just full of, of uh, judgment, full of warning. Um, people, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel uh, was a very sinful nation during the time that Hosea was prophet. Uh, prophet he prophesied uh, in Israel about 700 to 750 years before the birth of Christ. Um, it was during Israel's time of, of critical religious and moral decay, uh, decline and decay. Um, he prophesied to Israel about 200 years after the kingdom was divided between Israel and Judah. Uh, he prophesied during the time of King Jeroboam II, who was a particularly evil king and uh, was leading his nation uh, in immorality. Uh, the nation of Israel had been uh, kind of faithfully following a period of, uh, of covenantal unfaithfulness toward God. Uh, attempting to mix pure worship of God with pagan idolatry. Uh, the idolatry of their surrounding peoples. And for them, mostly involved the worship of Baal, uh, who was a god of the Canaanites, who they believed was the god of, of rain and the god of fertility. Now, with Baal, uh, the worship of Baal uh, led to all sorts of immorality and most of it being sexual in nature. Uh, the worship of Baal led to ritual prostitution, to drunken orgies, and all kinds of debauchery like that. As you read through the book of Hosea, you see how God is very displeased with His people in Israel at the time. Um, he's very displeased with his adulterous nation and he pronounces judgment on them time after time um, for their sin. Now, this blending of religions that Israel was involved with is, is what we call religious syncretism. And um, it was very common with Israel even back during the time of their wilderness journey when they were uh, being led out of Egypt uh, for 40 years. They wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. We see them falling into idolatry even during that time. God had commanded specifically to His nation 
that um, they were to worship him and him alone, and that um, they were to forsake all other so-called gods of this world who attempt to seduce them through their um, promises of inclusiveness, of riches, and pleasure. Now, some of you may mistakenly believe that uh, this type of idolatry is exclusive to Old Testament times, that in the New Testament time we have other things to worry about, but we don't have to worry about idolatry. Well, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, idolatry is something that uh, is, is, is close to really all of us. Um, and the world is full of idols. Um, our hearts oftentimes are full of idols. And so it's something that's good for us to spend a little bit of time on this last day of 2017 um, talking about. Um, well, the fact is, the early church, uh, New Testament church, had its fair share of, of idolatry. There was uh, things of the church had to fight against. Uh, polytheism, of course, which is the belief in multiple gods, which is really what idolatry is. Uh, mystery cults, Gnosticism, all of these types of false beliefs and idolatries were, were um, things that the early church fathers had to fight against as being part of the Christian faith. Even today, as you see great changes taking place in our culture, uh, we see uh, our nations, many of them, or uh, m- uh, many of our nation's mainline denominations, uh, those so-called progressive or affirming churches, embracing sin that a hundred years ago there would be no church that would say this is okay. Um, the authority of Scripture has been undermined. Um, which makes it very easy for churches like this to bring in all sorts of, of sin, all sorts of idolatry, and all sorts of false theology and false doctrine. Uh, in some of these churches, uh, affirming churches are embracing so-called same-sex marriage almost as quickly as our society approves it. There seems to be no recognition of God's view on the subject of marriage and how it is between a man and a woman. And that was God's original design and still remains to be His design. You see, for a syncretism to work, to bring in new beliefs and practices, it requires that you shed some of your old beliefs, some of your old practices, in order for you to bring in the new ones. Um, At the same time, you keep only the ones that don't seem to conflict with the new practices, and beliefs that you bring in. So churches who are affirming or, or progressive oftentimes will really kind of uh, put the spotlight on truths from the Bible, such as God is love or, or that, that uh, God commands us to love one another, but that they do that with the expense of, of taking the light off of other truths, such as God is holy God is just. God is righteous. God commands us to live holy lives that are in line with His Word. Now the reason I bring this up is to point out that even though Hosea prophesied you know, 2,700 years ago to the nation of Israel, his words are just as relevant to the American church nationally, to Restoration Road Church locally, to you individually as they were then. Uh, in fact, they are meant for you and me today. Uh, One way we know that is by how Hosea concludes his written prophecy. At the end of chapter 14, he says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. 
Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. God is calling Hosea, through Hosea, for us to repent from our idolatry so that we might experience the fullness of the riches and blessings of covenant relationship with God and escape His judgment and wrath. He is also calling us to a closer walk with Him, one that results in an intimate relationship with Him through seeking and knowing Him by and through His Holy Word. The result is that we would reap a harvest of steadfast love and the blessing of a reign of righteousness upon us. In Jeremiah 4.3, as Dick read, it says, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. God commands to sow these seeds of righteousness, but not to do it in fallow ground. What is fallow ground? Well, fallow ground is simply, if you look in newer translations or other translations like the CSV and a few others, it says um, unplowed ground. So this fallow ground is ground that hasn't been plowed, hasn't been tilled. And so what uh, Jeremiah, both Jeremiah and Hosea, are commanding to telling the people, telling us, is that we need to break up this unplowed ground. We need to, we need to till this soil. And he's talking about um, the soil of our hearts. The Bible teaches us that the primary effect of the fall into sin is that all people are born in need of a Savior. All of us have been or still need to be rescued from the darkness of our fallen state. Our hearts are in their natural state, or our hearts in their natural state contain only fallow ground, fallow soil, unplowed soil, so therefore are only capable of growing weeds or thorns and thistles. Uh, and when the Bible talks about this, it's just a poetic way of explaining that our, in our unregenerate state, in our state of being before we come to know Christ, um, our hearts are only able to uh, put out works of the flesh. We, we do not have uh, an ability to be able to produce any spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit can only be produced when the Holy Spirit has plowed the soil of our hearts to make it an acceptable garden for this type of sowing. Just as a farmer who grows crops must till his fields uh, every year in order for seeds to take root, we too must, from time to time, till the soil of our hearts. My understanding of these, of these two texts is that fallow or unplowed soil exists in several kinds of hearts. It, it, it exists, as I already said, in unregenerate hearts, uh, unbelieving hearts, um, Hearts that are, are uh, against God. Uh, and this is primarily where fallow soil exists. There is naturally no repentance. There's no confession of sin. No seeking the Lord. No delighting in the Word of God. No fellowship with the Lord and no union with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Even if seeds of righteousness are sown in this type of soil, they will not germinate into any living fruit. Only thorns and thistles continue to grow there. But there's also fallow soil that can be found 
uh, in time, from time to time in the hearts of Christians. Specifically, Christians who are disobedient. Christians who have not regularly tilled the soil of their hearts through repentance and confession of sin. You see, we as Christians are not perfect. Um, we do sin. We do fall short of the glory of God, even as Christians. And that's just because we're not perfect yet. We haven't reached that state of, uh, of glory where we can completely shed away our sinful nature. The fact is, we carry our sinful nature with us uh, as long as we live in this body, in this life. And so, um, through sin, that doesn't, you know, and, and the Bible encourages us when we do sin that we should confess our sin, that we should repent of our sin, and that we should um, receive the forgiveness of Christ, uh, what He did for us on the cross. But Christians also who do not take pleasure in the means of grace offered to us through the, through the Word of God, through prayer and through sacraments of the church, uh, will find eventually that the soil of their hearts has hardened and is producing very and little in terms of, of a harvest of steadfast love. In both cases, the only way to break up this fallow ground or this fallow soil, this unplowed ground of our hearts is through repentance and faith. Uh, repentance is the confession of sin. Uh, it's a recognition that sin is an offense to God. It's against His holy law and against His word, against His will. Um, but then it's also a turning away from sin to holiness. Um, it's not just a change in behavior, but it's also a change in thinking. It's a change in our heart attitude toward that sin and toward God. Uh, in both cases, the only way to break up this, um, or for the unregenerate heart, this is completely impossible. Because unless God does something to that heart, this heart will continue to live and believe and, and, and shed the same kind of fruit that it always has. God has to, through His Holy Spirit, uh, essentially do a heart transplant in the, in the, in the heart and the life and body of, a, of a, an unbeliever. He has to take out the cold, dead heart and replace it with a pliable and soft heart with good and rich soil, which is perfect for receiving seeds of righteousness. Uh, this begins a journey of faith, uh, and it begins with a recognition of personal sin and how wonderful the grace of God is to forgive that sin. Uh, confession is made. Repentance is sought after. Now, for the disobedient Christian, um, the heart which was once replete with healthy and perfectly tilled soil has now become uh, fallow or unplowed. A soil that's so hard and it is producing little in terms of mercy or steadfast love. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you don't go from being um, a, a devout and a Christian who is, who is uh, walking daily with the Lord to someone who is uh, distant and uh, cold. Um, in fact, it happens slowly over a long period of time because of a lack of devotion to God coupled with a Fascination for idols. Yes, the idols of this world, just as they caused the ancient Israelites to stumble, to fall, to, to, to um, kind of remove themselves from God's presence, are the same things that cause Christians to turn cold to the Lord 
who called them out of this world, who saved them from their brokenness. Yes, the idols might look different. They might go by different names. But they're idols nonetheless. Uh, they demand our allegiance and our devotion. Now these idols exist all around us. Um, they call for us to serve them. Sometimes they call really loudly. Other times they speak very softly and very quietly. Very seductively. Um, but nonetheless, they call for us. And So what are these idols that I'm talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked because um, we do need to know what these idols are. Um, and I think you know what they are. I think you know a, a lot of what they are. I think that you know exactly what kinds of idols you yourself have had to do battle with in this life. Perhaps you already know right now as you're sitting there that there are some idols that you've been serving that you know that you need to forsake. And that is my prayer is that you will forsake any idols that you are serving. But anything that takes our true devotion, our worship and sacrifice in this life away from the one true God can rightly be called an idol. Mostly all idols have one thing in common at their core. That is self. Uh, it, it's all about serving yourself. Idolatry is, 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 is really about elevating and exalting yourself above anyone else or obviously above God Himself. Um, and many of you may be serving idols without you even really being all that aware of it. And I hope that this raises some awareness in your heart. They do have one thing in common, all idols. They want to kill you. They want to kill the relationship that you have with your God. They want to draw you away from your family. They want to draw you away from your spiritual friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They promise to fulfill your truest desires and to fulfill that emptiness that you might feel in your heart. But in the end, they only rob you of the peace. They rob you of the freedom and the joy that belong to those who walk with the Lord and belong to Him. Unless we are daily walking and talking with Jesus, the pretend gods of this world can still tempt us with their promise to, promises to fulfill us, to fulfill our daily needs. Many, if not most, of the suffering and the grief that humans experience, which leads them to seek counseling, are rooted and sourced in some form of idolatry. In fact, those who, uh, of us who have been trained uh, to do biblical counseling are taught that very same fact that uh, at, at the root and at the cause of most of this type of suffering is an idol, and that as soon as we're able to identify what that idol is, the easier time we will have and leading a person back to uh, good spiritual, emotional, and uh, health. So anyway, here's a um, partial list of idols that you need to be aware of. And I, I partially got this from an article in Christianity Today called Putting God First, Five Modern-Day Idols That We're in Danger of Letting Take Over Our Lives. And I think I have more than five here. And, you know, honestly, there's probably more than 50 idols in this map. Make it five, no, maybe 5,000. I think the number of idols in this world is probably pretty much limitless uh, because um, our hearts actually are pretty good at producing our own idols 
if we can't find any in our neighborhood that we can serve very easily. Um, but uh, let's take a look at this one. Work. Did you know that your own work, your own job, your own occupation or career can be an idol? Uh, when your work starts to fulfill you, when it starts to fulfill your identity, uh, your sense of significance, and uh, your security, when it drives your decision-making to the point of completely ignoring God's ways and desires, or when you put it before things that are equally or more deserving of your time, you just might have an idol. Um, how about your own success? You know, some people, that's their life's goal is to be successful. Now, it doesn't hurt to want to be successful, but if you start to pursue success outside of what God's will is, then you probably have a situation where you're, you have an idol. And at the end of the day, and talk to, all you have to do is talk to people who have poured their life into uh, building a successful career. Uh, at, the end of, end of, at the end of it, um, they find very little satisfaction. Very little satisfaction. Uh, here's another idol um, that you might recognize. Um, this little phone, um, which um, probably all of you have, um, is probably one of the most common idols of our day. And yes, I called it an idol. Because if you uh, have a hard time uh, going for five minutes without checking your phone, without, uh, if you have a hard time sitting through this sermon without checking for updates, um, you probably have an idol. Um, the fact is, our lives are full of digital things, tablets, uh, computers, all that stuff. And I know you're aware of it, but um, I'm just making you re-aware of it because the fact of the matter is, it's so insidious in how it creeps up on us. I mean, I'm the same way as you guys. I'm no different. This is captivating to me far too much. And I need to be able to say, I'm not going to serve that idol. I'm going to set it down. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to just check this the first thing when I get up. You know what? I'm going to spend some time in here, and I'm going to actually uh, take some time to um, see what God has for me today because that's far more important than seeing what uh, my Facebook friends have for me today. I mean, it's true. Um, sometimes, though, we're unaware of it because it creeps up on us uh, so slowly and insidiously, and we think, well... It's not that big of a deal. Well, it can be, especially when it takes away, uh, quite honestly, we get together with family and friends, and we've all seen it. We're probably guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Uh, you get together, and you look around the room, and instead of visiting with each other, you're actually texting each other or Facebooking each other, but not the ones in the room, people who are out there. And, it's... and then with that comes this whole idol of image. You see... The selfie, which was uh, unheard of just you know, a few years ago, has become a part of our, our language, and it's become part of the idols that we, that we serve, and it's that, our own image. It's crazy how that works. Uh, and, and, and Instagram and Facebook kind of like propel this along. Um, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's usually younger people that are caught up in this because they... There are more help up on this, but you know you don't have to be young to be caught up in, in image. Um, all you have to do is be focusing on externals more than internals, and, and that's, that's where you're going to be. So um, we've heard about materialism and how that's um, an idol. I mean, this idea of, 
of uh, accumulating for yourself just things, stuff. Uh, it could be cars. It could be, it could be any number of things. Clothing. Uh, now that we can shop on Amazon and get uh, free delivery within two days, it makes it even more of a draw and a temptation, doesn't it? And sometimes we're not even so much into the stuff as we are into just the experience of it. So this idea of going shopping is what we turn to when we're feeling down. When we're feeling depressed, we go and we spend some money because that makes us feel better. But next time you're tempted to do that, ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Is this because that's what's filling the emptiness that I feel in my heart right now? Um, and here's another idol, sex. Did you know that that's an idol in our culture? You better know that's an idol in our culture. You better know that that's an idol that creeps into our church and has been creeping into our church ever since the beginning of time, but now especially, and one reason is because of devices like this, this idol has become a, a real plague. And, and I dare say, uh, as Christian men, we are not immune to the call of that idol. I mean, you know, when you read uh, verse, passages from the Bible like Proverbs 3 where he talks about, you know, the, 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 the seduction of the sinful woman. You know, the guy who goes out and he walks, he walks down that street that he knows the sinful woman lives on and he goes there just to, just to kind of take a peek at what's going on there. But he, he warns about how that, that man is, is, is a foolish man because he's drawn into something that at the end of the day will kill him. And, um, man, I'm telling you, um, it will kill you. This idol will kill you if you don't uh, repent and get some help. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that this, this, is, this, is the, this is the year to do that. 2018. Let's just say the last day of 2017 and the first day of 2018 is the day that you made a change. That you came before God and you said, I repent. And you came before a brother in the Lord and you say, I'm coming out of the darkness. I'm coming into the light. I'm not going to allow this thing to, to um, rob me of my joy. I'm not going to allow this idol to rob me of my freedom as a Christian anymore. I'm not going to allow this idol to uh, keep me from being involved in Christian ministry anymore. I'm not going to allow this idol to wreck my marriage anymore. I'm not going to allow this idol to destroy me. Because that's what it will do eventually, is it will destroy you. So please, um, if you're ready to step out of the darkness into the light, you'll find there's other men who are desiring that as well. We have help for you in this church. This is not something that you should fight alone. Not something that, quite honestly, you probably even have the power to fight alone. That's what kind of a battle this is. So after this service is over, you come forward and you make yourself known to me or to one of the other elders or to another dude that's here. Just say, I, I want to come out of the dark. I, I want to step into the light. I want, I want, to, I want to repent. All right? You won't regret it. I promise you. Um, a few other idols that uh, captivate us. Uh, one is money, of course. 
Uh, money is uh, an age-old idol that people have been serving for, for millennia. Um, it's, we're told in the Bible that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We see that take place in our marriages, in our families, all kinds of relationships. Money, is, is the, and, and the idolatry of it brings grief. It brings lots of grief. Again, it's, it's rooted in source in the idea that you can't trust God to provide for you, but that you can trust money to provide for you. Uh, what about people? People can be idols. I mean, sure, your celebrities can be your idols, and if you have some celebrity idols, please forsake them today. <laughs> they will let you down, I promise. If 2017 hasn't taught us something, it's that. Um, but it could be someone else that's uh, less benign. It could be your spouse, for example. could be your idol. Um, you love your spouse so much, and, and, but you put too much on them. You make your idol, your spouse, actually carry a weight that they shouldn't be carrying. That you're trusting in them far more than you should be trusting in them. That you should be putting all that on God, not on your spouse. It could be your children as well. It could be a son or daughter that you you know, you're just putting too much on them. It could be, it could be grandkids, Aaron. <laughs> Forsake that idol, Aaron. <clears throat> um, but it could be your pastor. I'm not saying anybody's pastor. You know, it could be Pastor Sam. Um, could be another pastor. I've seen that happen in churches where pastors, I'm not saying you guys are, but I'm saying that there have been pastors that have absolutely been put up on a pedestal um, and, that, and then, you know what happens? That pastor lets him down. Pastor sins, uh, is removed from ministry, and it destroys the faith of people who were idolizing that pastor. Uh, here's another one, pleasure. And there's a lot of idols that live under the umbrella of pleasure. Um, could be pleasurous, pleasurable things that in and of themselves are not sinful, but you make them sinful because you lack self-control. So I'm talking about things like food. I'm talking about things like alcohol. I'm talking about things like uh, movies or television or vacations or you know, any number of things like that can become idols. And yes, when you uh, serve them as idols, they want to destroy your life. They want to make your life miserable. I mean, they promise to make your life glorious, but they will, in the end, make your life miserable. So this is, um, this is something that Paul actually warns the Philippians about who make pleasure their aim in life. In uh, Philippians 3.19, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Yes, this is just a short list of idols that are available to take the place of Jesus in this world. Maybe... You look at that list of idols that I just talked about, and you can honestly say that you have forsaken those idols. And I'm glad for that, and that is good, but I still want to encourage you to search yourself. Um, 
to see that there may not be others that you have created for yourself. And I say forsake them all, come back to Jesus, and begin sowing righteousness. Seek the Lord. God's desire is to bless you and not curse you. Your, your, you desire, His desire is for you to walk humbly before Him with the closeness of relationship bought for you by the blood of His Son on the cross. It can't be done while pursuing other gods any more than a man can have true intimacy with his wife while at the same time pursuing and loving other women. So, by confessing your idolatry and sin through genuine repentance, you begin to break up that fallow ground. You begin to seek the Lord, but don't do it all by yourself. Uh, allow a few trusted friends to walk with you because they will help to keep you accountable and help you when you're weak. In fact, the Apostle John writes in his first epistle, in chapter 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. So as the hardness of the soil of your heart begins to break up, seeds that are sown in righteousness will begin to take root. So what does it mean to sow righteousness? Essentially, what it means is engaging in discipleship. One of the sins of the Israelites was that they had forsaken the knowledge of God. And discipleship means that we take time to study and to read God's Word. Yes, we read it devotionally, but we also study His Word. No one can be effective in Christian ministry unless they have devoted time first to be a disciple, that is, a student. Even Paul the Apostle, after his conversion, we know from uh, reading uh, his letter to the Galatians that he did not immediately go from Damascus to work as a missionary church planner. No, he went to Arabia. It doesn't tell us much about what happened there, but we believe that what he did there was he uh, underwent discipleship. That he um, received revelations, and his were particular. I think he received revelation from Christ himself. But he did spend time learning. Learning doctrine, learning theology, learning about the gospel so that he could be an effective church planter and missionary. Now, for new converts, this is especially important because... Um, a new convert to Jesus Christ has a heart that's been freshly tilled. I mean, it's a heart that's just ready for uh, righteousness to grow. And uh, sometimes you'll see uh, new converts are, are, are so excited, they want to just go out and they want to start doing things for God immediately, which is great on the one hand. But on the other hand, uh, a word of caution is always there, and that is you need to first be a disciple. Before you can be a disciple maker, you need to be a disciple yourself 
and you need to learn some fundamentals about Christianity. You need to learn the doctrines of grace. You need to know a little bit about what the Holy Word of God says. And that's not something that actually ends at any time in a Christian's life. Even those who are the greatest teachers among us still are disciples. They still need to be spending time themselves learning about God and about what His will is for them and for us. To sow seeds of righteousness for yourself also means spending time with God in intimate prayer. If you look at the life of Jesus, you'll see this happen often. While He was with His disciples in great crowds of people, He'd be performing amazing works, amazing miracles, feeding the hungry, raising the dead, casting out demons and all that. But at the end of the day, you know what He did? He withdrew by Himself to a quiet place to pray. He wouldn't even allow His disciples oftentimes to come with Him because He needed to be alone with His Father. He needed to be there uh, building this and, and maintaining this intimacy that He had with His Father. And it's really no different for you and me. We want to have that kind of relationship with God. We need to invest in it by just the time that we spend with Him. And I know this can be difficult, even as Sam just talked about earlier, about how life can be busy. Life is busy uh, for all of us, I'm sure, or most of us. Um, the fact of the matter is, those two things, spending time with God and His Word, and spending God, time with God in His prayer, have to become priorities in your life if you want to sow righteousness into your life. Now, I, I confess that I don't spend enough time in prayer, and, and that's one of the things that I'm repenting of myself. As I, even as I write this sermon and as I preach to you, I recognize that, you know, Paul commands us to pray without ceasing. So I do think that in the morning when we get up, we should be engaging with God in prayer. And throughout the day at different times, we need to be engaging with God in that way. And when we lay our head down at night, we need to be praying as well. And so I pray that you also would take that seriously in your life, that you would take time every day to commune with your father that way. And even if you're uh, a parent, if you're a father or mother, to lead your children in that way, to teach them. The best defense against false worship is true worship. The closer we are to the living God, the less real and the less attractive the pretend gods of this world will appear to be to us. But here's the real truth. <clears throat> God really does have what's best for you in mind. But because we carry this sinful flesh, we sometimes have a hard time believing that the greatest joys and blessings in this life are actually ours when we live lives of devotion and obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death, hell, and Satan on the cross. He proved that He's God by rising from the dead. Paul tells us in Romans that through Christ we are more than conquerors. That means that sin no longer has dominion over us, nor does it have power over us. We can live in the reality that as Christians, we have been given power by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. So as you begin this new year of 2018, do so with that in mind. Do so with the, the, the belief that you have been given power to live a new life. 
but also do it with an honest assessment of your relationship with God. Have you allowed the soil of your heart to get hard so that only thorns and thistles grow there? Or are parts of your heart tilled while the other parts have become fallow? It's time to break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. Fallow ground will not receive the good seeds of righteousness. Remember, do not sow among the thorns. Do not be satisfied with the toilet water of idolatry when you can drink deeply of the pure water offered by Christ. In the end, idols never satisfy, no matter how hard you try. Even Mick Jagger admits this in his lamentation called, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, he says, and I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no, he says. But you already knew that, not because you've heard the song before, which you probably have, but because you've experienced it in your own life. You've been there. You've done that. You've tried to get satisfaction in idols, and you haven't been able to do it. You know why? Because our only true satisfaction comes from one person. And one person only, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? It's time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness on you. God never moves away from us. Remember that. But we in our foolishness, in our folly, we'll often move away from Him. Graciously, God calls us back to Him. In closing, I want to just read a few verses for you from um, Matthew. And I want you to listen and I want you to believe this promise from Jesus Himself. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray.